The following message by Pastor Tim is brought to you by Together in Christ. We're going to adjourn from our meeting, and I want to spend a little time in God's Word. We don't have much time, but I do want to spend a little time continuing with what we started this morning. So if you'll turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands, they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord, your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I don't think it's by accident that the temptation of Satan on Jesus would come right after his public baptism, right after he would go through what we talked about this morning, right after that, all of a sudden he is led out into the wilderness and he begins to face this temptation from Satan. You see, Satan does not want committed people. I mean, it's just a, a fact of the matter. And those are the people who he is going to go after. There's no need to bother the people who are just sitting around doing nothing, right? Right. There's no need to bother the guy who sits in the back, who's not a Christian, but he, he might think he is, but he's just kind of sitting back there and he comes in and he goes out and he lives his life and he comes in and he goes out. And you know what Satan does with that person? He just says, you're doing good. Keep doing what you're doing. You're fine, right? That, that's, that's how Satan would deal with a person like that. But when we take a step of faith for the Lord, when we, when we walk out and something like baptism. These are the times when all of a sudden Satan is going to come and he is going to come after us hard because that is not what he wants. He does not want committed followers of the Lord who are going to faithfully serve the Lord and do what the Lord calls them to do because Satan knows that the word of God is powerful. Satan knows that committed believers are powerful because they have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in their life and that that is what is going to take effect. He doesn't have to worry about the people who don't live that way, right? And so I think a couple things that we can see when we are facing temptation like this. Number one, hopefully that means we're committed. Hopefully that means, hey, we're on the right track. We're, we're doing what we should because Satan's really uh, getting after me at these moments. But there's six realities that come up as we see this passage. And I, I, I pull this from Christ-centered exposition. It's a, a book that's 
written. They got all kinds of commentaries out. Uh, these six realities, I just want to touch on them uh, real briefly. Number one, we've got to understand as we read through this section about Jesus being tempted is that there is a spiritual world. I don't think we always want to think about that. I don't think we always want to deal with that. But ever since the beginning, ever since Adam and Eve, there has been a spiritual battle that takes place. And really, we can compare the battle that started there in the garden with Adam and Eve and that serpent And we really could look at that and compare it to the temptation that Christ faces now. And what we see is we see Adam who represents man and his failures in that temptation, his falling to the temptation. And then we see the perfect Adam, the perfect man, Christ, who faces these temptations, but yet comes through victorious and doesn't fall into these temptations. But the spiritual world is real. And this is the second point. We are involved in this spiritual war. It's not just something that we are not a part of. It's something that we very much are a part of. I think that you feel this. If you're doing your best to live your life for Christ, you understand that it is a battle. You understand that it is a war. It's almost like you're two-faced. You ever felt like that before? You know, it's almost like you're two-faced. And I, God, I love you, praise you, coming to the altar, all these things, and then The next day rolls around and it's, I'm going to do it this way. Ah, This feels better. She looks good. This tastes good. This makes me feel good. And it's like this two-faced situation that we face. You know, that's a spiritual battle that is taking place, that we are going through. And And it's a real thing. The third point that they make, our enemy in this spiritual war is formidable. It's a formidable enemy. Satan and his demons, Satan and the angels who fell, who follow him, are a formidable force. Again, this is why we fall at times. They are good at what they do. It's really hard for me to preach this sermon and talk about the temptation of Christ without thinking of the screw tape letters. If that's a book you haven't read before, I would encourage you to read it by C.S. Lewis. But I, you just think about how Satan works his way into things and makes us think certain ways or believe certain things with just little questions that come into our minds, just like happened in the garden. Did he really say this? Are you sure? Are you sure this is what was said? Are you sure this is how God works? Are you sure God loves you? Are you sure God would really care about this? It's formidable and we have to take him seriously. The next thing, the fourth thing, the stakes in this spiritual war are eternal. It's not minimal. This is why we have to take with much seriousness, not only our own walk with Christ, but our own personal evangelism. As we share the gospel with people, we, have, we should understand that the decisions that are being made at that moment are eternal decisions. And while I cannot save a soul, while I cannot even convince them to maybe follow Christ, that God needs to do that work. I need to approach it with such seriousness, more so than anything else. I just, me and Pastor, me and Pastor Spencer just had the privilege of meeting some, with someone here in the church who feels like maybe God is calling them to, to preach and to teach and to do these things. And they said, you know, in my life, as I played sports and done these things, I've never been nervous for a game in my life. He said, but every time I approach God's word to teach it or whatever, I 
I'm so nervous. And I said, you know why? Because that matters. The game doesn't matter. If you lose, it doesn't matter. If you win, it doesn't matter. It's not eternal. It has no impact, no significance, no real significance. But when you teach God's word, it has great significance in what you're teaching. And so you must make sure what you're doing is right. So the spiritual war is is eternal. Fifth, the scope of the spiritual war is universal. It's not just American, right? It's not just found in certain areas. No, it's universal. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. You cannot escape it. Just like Psalm 139, you know, God, where can I go from your presence? I, I can't go anywhere to get away from you, but you can't go anywhere to get away from this war. The war is on. It's universal. And then last, the sixth thing they said, our involvement in this spiritual war is personal. And the Bible speaks of this, of having a personal relationship with Christ and the importance of that, of him being your savior, not your parents' savior, not somebody you know's savior, not your pastor's savior, not your church's savior. Your savior, that is what wins the war, is the personal relationship with Christ. And so we have to understand that as we follow Christ, we are going to be attacked and Satan knows just how to attack us. Haven't you ever felt that way before? You know, you you just like, you're, you're walking along and maybe you see something and you're like, seriously, today of all days, I got to see this. You know, I'm going to fall to this. You, you know, my weakness here. Why must I face this today? And you know why? It's because Satan is good and he is ready to attack. He's ready to pounce. And we're going to see this as we see how he attacked Christ and how he went after Christ. He attacks us and he attacks Christ. You'll notice with every human struggle, the three temptations are the same three temptations that we still face almost daily today. I would dare say daily. The first four verses, verse one through four, the very first temptation that Satan throws at Jesus. If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Again, Jesus had been away. Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And at this time, Satan is going to pounce. And he he wants to tempt Christ with self-gratification. With self-gratification. You are hungry. Get fed. Get fed. Turn Turn these into bread and eat. If I didn't eat for 40 days, you better believe those rocks would have been bread. They wouldn't have been bread. That's a lie. They would have been something way better than bread. But in that moment, what Satan is trying to do is he is trying to tempt Christ with a self-gratification, to satisfy his desires apart from his father's plan, apart from his father's will. But instead, what we see is we see Jesus trusting the father for his desires, trusting the father for his wants. This becomes, I think, very practical for us. We all have desires. We all have Needs In the book, they listed all kinds of them. I don't remember them all, but food, right? Money, relationships, sex, all these things that we could talk about that are desires, that are needs for us, that so often in our life, what Satan will do is he will tempt us with these things, saying you could satisfy yourself right now if you would do this. You think about one who's not in a, relation, in a marriage relationship. 
And you think about the sexual uh, desires that are there that come with that and how easy it is today to satisfy those desires in the wrong way. How Satan can just dangle that carrot in front of anybody's nose at any moment. Go ahead and satisfy yourself. You have this desire. It's natural. We all have these desires. It's a natural desire. Just do it. God wouldn't have made you that way if he didn't want you to fulfill that desire. Oh, he's cunning. Oh, he's so crafty. But the Bible says we don't fulfill our desires outside of the will of God. That that specific desire, sexual desire, is within a marriage relationship between a man and a wife who are committed together forever. But yet we try to usurp that. Now ah, I can do it faster this way, right? How often do we gorge ourselves on food? I know we don't like to talk about this sin too often. But that sin of satisfying that desire in a way that is not right and how Satan can just put that in front of us at any moment. I don't want to go through all these. But Jesus would stand before Satan and he would speak to him the word of God and he would say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He would answer with scripture as he does in all of these. The next temptation, verse five through seven, devil takes him up to the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Seems kind of weird. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. We see here the temptation of self-protection, trying to twist God's promises for our purposes. And you see, that's what Satan is doing here with Christ. He knew if you are the son of God, then the father is going to protect you. He's going to care for you until your mission is accomplished. If you are who you say you are, which Satan knew he was, no doubt. But Jesus knew, no, this is, not, this is a twisting of God's word. I'm not supposed to just go and jump off buildings and show how the Father will save me miraculously. That's not my purpose here, right? That's not, that's not what that passage is talking about or what it means. So often in our life, what Satan will do is he'll throw these little questions about God's protection and care for us makes us wonder, is God really there? Would I really feel this way if God loved me like he says he does? Would our family be experiencing this pain if God really cared about me? These are the questions that Satan puts into our mind and he tries to twist God's words so that we start to think, no, he must not. Or we start to question, am I even then a child of God? Because it says if I'm his child, he'll care about me and I just don't feel cared for. Thus, maybe I'm not even a Christian at all. I told you Satan is good, isn't he? He's good at these things. The last temptation, verse 8 through 10. We're about out of time. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and, be, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Now, when I read this temptation, honestly, I think, well, that was an easy one for Jesus. He knew it was coming. I mean, he knew, he knew he was going to be at the right hand of the Father. Well, why would this be a temptation? Then you start to think about it. And you see this temptation of self-exaltation. You think about what needed to happen from Jesus to go to where he was 
to when he would be at the right hand of the Father. And you tell me you wouldn't have tried to think of a different way for that to happen? I got to be homeless. The friends that I have will forsaken me. One of them is going to turn me in. I'm going to face flogging. I'm going to face the cross. I'm going to have my beard ripped out. I'm going to have to have all the sin thrown on my shoulders. I'm going to have to have my father's wrath poured out on me. And now Satan comes and tells me I could be king of the world right now. Sounds pretty tempting. Sounds pretty tempting. And when I can look at Jesus and say he would be foolish to make this decision, but then I can look at my life and see how foolish I am often to listen to Satan's lies in that way. Yeah, he says heaven is there and there'll be no more sorrow, but if you take this job, you'll get more money and life will be a lot easier for you here. Wouldn't God want that for you? Wouldn't he want that for you? Ah, yeah, it'll be more, mean more time away from family, maybe more time away from church. Doesn't God want what's best for you? You see, it's so easy for us to start to exalt ourselves and Satan is so good at showing us how to do that. But Jesus would faithfully respond to him that this wasn't the plan, wouldn't he? Away with you, Satan. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Every one of Jesus' responses all of come from Deuteronomy chapter 6 or Deuteronomy chapter 8. As Moses, as, as God is using Moses to prepare Israel to go into the promised land, you can find all these quotes in there. Moses is trying to explain to them the law, He's talking to them again about all of that, saying before we enter the promised land, we must understand this law. We must live by this law. God has given us this law in covenant with him. And I think it's important because what we see is we see Jesus fulfilling the law. He fulfills all the law and all the righteousness that is required for living in the promised land. That's what Jesus has done for us. One day we get to enter the promised land because of his perfection, not ours. He's fulfilled the law that Israel couldn't fill, that Israel couldn't keep. And so it's interesting, not just that he uses scripture, which is talked about all the time, but that he specifically uses this part of scripture before entering the promised land about temptation, about trusting God, about following the Lord. You see, unlike the first Adam, like the first man, Adam, Jesus, the true man came and conquered. He conquers Satan. He conquers the temptations that Satan tried to throw on him. And this is something today that you and I simply realize we cannot do. Today is not a message for you to leave and say, go conquer the temptation because you'd be futile in that. You won't be perfect in it. You will fall short. I mean, it, it, it's going to happen. But the good news about this part of scripture and the temptation of Christ is understanding that through Christ, we are able to conquer Satan and his temptations. Through him, we can do that. Through him, we can have success in the spiritual war. We know that we've already got victory completely from the war, but we also can have victory in the battles because he has gone before us and he's promised that the Holy Spirit lives in us to be able to overcome these things. And no, you're not going to be perfect in those battles. But listen, you will have victories because he's promised us those victories. 
And so when we spend our time reading God's word and we, we spend our time in prayer and we spend our time disciplining our body into subjection so that we will not be to come disqualified, as we really strive to honor the Lord in those things, what we are promised is we will see victory in those temptations. We cannot sit back as Christians and say, ah, what are you going to do? Satan's just good, you know? I'm not. Christ is good for me. Thank you. No. He has given us power to overcome those things because he has for us. And so we must strive to not let the temptations of Satan overwhelm us, to not let the temptations of Satan to defeat us, but to look to Christ, our conqueror, our defender, our hero, the one who's gone before us and shown us the way. It's not easy, but it's worth it because we love him because of what he has done for us. Let's bow together and let's pray as we're out of time tonight. God, there's so much more I'd love to talk about in this passage, but time just doesn't permit it. But God, I thank you that we have this. When we think about the humanity of Christ, it's awesome to be able to see this part, to see the temptation that was put before him, to think about the temptations that we feel so often in our lives and to see that Christ overcame those and that we can overcome them through him as well. And so, God, I do ask that you would help us. Help us in our attempts to avoid temptation. Help us in our attempts to flee from temptation. Help us in our attempts to stand before Satan and say, no, I will not give in to this. I hold to the truth of God's word. I hold that, and it's better for me than anything you have to offer. God, help us to know that. Help us to believe that. God, forgive us of those times when we fail in that. God, I'm thankful that you are a loving father, that when we do fail, you're not there to hurt us, to scourge us, to yell at us, but your loving arms are there to continually be wrapped around us. So God, I pray for that person here tonight who maybe is struggling in temptation, who maybe has been falling. I pray that they would sense your love in their life still to this moment and that that would just urge them to keep fighting those battles. God, I pray that you would help us to see victories in our lives over sin. God, help us to not live for the things of this world, but to live for your word and to feed off your word like Jesus would say. Man cannot live on bread alone. God, help us to hold that to truth and to heart. God, as we leave this place again, I do ask that you would watch over us. God, of course, we pray for safety. We pray for all those things. But God, again, above all things, we pray for courage. We pray for boldness to be the people that you've called us to be. God, help us to lay ourselves down at your feet, to lay ourselves down at the feet of our church family, to love each other well, to be sacrificial for each other, because God, that's what you've called us to do. You have brought us together by your great grace. So bring us encouragement from that and spur us on to do the good works that you call us to. We ask these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Pastor Tim from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.